I'm Sophia. And I'm Angelina. And welcome to the first episode of Redefining Pink, a podcast where we work to combat gender underrepresentation in STEM. This episode is about Mrs. Kelly Kleinertz, who was our seventh grade science teacher and in fact inspired us to follow careers and futures involving STEM. Hi! Ms. Kleinertz grew up in Traverse City, Michigan, and went to Michigan State University. During her senior year, she studied abroad in the Virgin Islands, where she studied the ecology of the mangrove forests. She graduated in 2005 with a Bachelor of Science in Zoology, with a concentration in marine biology. After college, she found herself a little lost, not knowing how to get a job in the field. She started tutoring at a refugee center and discovered her love for teaching. That's when she decided to go back to Michigan State to pursue a degree in education. Her first teaching job was eighth grade science and language arts in Chicago, Illinois. Illinois. There, she taught middle school science for eight years. Mrs. Kleinertz and her family moved to San Diego in 2016, and she started teaching at Bishops in 2018. This is her fifth year teaching seventh grade science at Bishops. In the summer of 2021, she started a master's program called the Advanced Inquiry Program. This program is through Miami University of Ohio in partnership with San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. She takes classes online and has in-person classes at, at the Beckman Center for Conservation Research at the Safari Park. She's focusing on a degree on fostering environment stewardship in middle school science classrooms. Specifically, her work is focused on education reform to help students develop skills and passions needed to advocate for the well-being of themselves, their communities, and the natural world. As Ms. Kleinertz's students ourselves, we are so inspired by her because of her constant enthusiasm and her perseverance for all her students. No matter how many questions we asked her or how much we struggled, she would always give good advice and support all of her students in their endeavors. Whenever she taught, you could see her passion for science. One of my favorite ever memories of Ms. Kleinertz was when she dressed up as an Easter bunny and hopped around the classroom and gave us eggs to teach us about dominant and recessive genes. Okay, let's go into our fast facts section. What's your favorite color? Uh, my favorite color is purple. Ooh, I love purple too. Actually, yes. purple is like, honestly, I feel like it's underrated. It's the new mm-hmm. pink. It oh, is. yes. Redefinitely. Okay. <laughs> so what's a subject in STEM you want to learn more about? I would love to learn more about robotics and computer science. Oh, <clears throat> I feel like I have very little experience with those two subjects, and um, I would love to take a class. Maybe I should pop into the class next to mine. <laughs> oh, we would love to see you. Yeah. Robotics is actually how I got like into STEM because I thought it was so cool that you could like write stuff on the computer mm-hmm. and it would just like show up in real life, and the robot would do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Speaking of subjects in STEM, what's your favorite subject in STEM? My favorite subject is anything that has to do with nature and the environment. So conservation science, environmental science, um, ecology, all of those subjects I love. Like biology, Uh, animals, mm -hmm. living things. Oh my gosh, (laughs) yes. Now, let's move on to Mrs. Kleinert's STEM expertise. How did you know you wanted to pursue bio- marine biology and zoology? And what do you love most about those subjects? Um, I guess, first of all, I didn't know for a long time that I wanted to pursue those two things. Um, it didn't really occur to me until a couple years into college that um, 
that's what I wanted to do. But as when I was a little girl, I loved nature and I loved being outdoors. I was always rolling around in the snow or staring up the sky or um, like picking plants and dissecting them and doing weird stuff like that. <laughs> um, and so I always had those kind of things um, sort of in me, those characteristics in me. Um, but it didn't really occur to me that I could do something with that passion until my second year in college. Um, and so I think I love most about zoology and marine biology is, and really any environmental science topic, is their connection to humans. And so a lot of people um, don't realize that when we study these topics, that it's not just isolated to the natural world, to plants and animals, <clears throat> that um, those things are directly, directly related to human well-being as well. Um, and so nature obviously provides so many ecosystem services for us, and one of those is recreation and just human well-being and health. And so I think that the human aspect of it is what really excites me. Yeah, like even in chemistry last year when I was like learning about atoms and elements and everything, like it seems really theory theoretical when you're learning about it, but I feel like when you see like oh, this chemical reaction causes this mechanism in my body and that's literally what keeps me alive, it like has such a big impact on you because you're like, whoa, like this is literally the reason that I'm breathing right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned, we know that you went to the Virgin Islands, but what was your experience like and um, what did you do when you worked with the mangrove forests? Okay, so I visited the Virgin Islands as a study abroad program um, in my undergrads, I think I was 2004. Um, and when I went there, it was an ecology research program, um, and it was a long time ago. <laughs> so I'm trying to remember exactly what we did, but I know that we learned all about the ecology of the mangrove forest and the importance to not just the um, wildlife there, the terrestrial and marine organisms there, but also just to the uh, communities that live there as well. Um, and we focused on um, mangrove restoration areas and I think we did some community mapping um, techniques to, to identify different areas that could be restored um, in the wetlands. That's awesome. What do you think is the most unique part about mangrove trees and forests? Um, I just think that they are one plant and they provide so much value to the entire ecosystem of those islands. Um, and it's just amazing that one plant can have such a large influence on the marine life, the terrestrial life, um, and the humans living there. And so you take that um, you take that plant out and it would have detrimental effects on everything living on that island. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Oh, how was your experience teaching Chicago um, different from teaching in San Diego? Um, I think that teaching life science, I like to connect what students are learning to their local environment. Um, and in Chicago, trying to do that is just very different than mm -hmm. doing that here. The, the natural spaces there are very urban, and they are here as well. But we're so lucky here at Bishops that we are steps away from the ocean. Yeah. So that was the biggest change for me. It was like, wow, I can take my kids down to the ocean. We can actually see these things I've been talking about firsthand. Um, so that was really cool. And just, it was, um, it was a learning kind of experience for me to kind of learn a whole new social and ecological dynamic than in the Midwest. 
Um, and so trying to connect those things that we are learning about in life science um, to California was a learning curve for me because I needed to learn about California. I needed to learn about those dynamics and how they interact with each other first. Um, and so, yeah, I think just the geographical and climate differences make um, teaching the subject a little different here. I know like even in elementary school when we were learning about science, we learned about like the ecosystems in San Diego and like we learned about the chaparral and like different yeah. areas mm-hmm. in, yeah, yeah. in like California. So it must mm-hmm. like, it like would be really different in Chicago. Yeah, yeah. So. especially the weather too. Yeah. <laughs> the weather, yeah. 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 And San Diego County is actually the most biodiverse county in the United States. Oh, wow. And a lot of people don't know that. And it's because of all these microclimates. And so it's a really awesome place to teach life science because there's so many examples all around us. We're so lucky. I know. <laughs> um, on this topic of being a teacher, what's your favorite part about being a STEM teacher and what's your favorite subject to teach and why? Um, I think my favorite part about being a STEM teacher is the moment when students like understand something for the first time and they did it on their own. Mm-hmm. I think that's my like um, it brings so much value to what I do and when those moments happen I feel like so fulfilled because it's showing me that students are using the skills that we're learning in class to problem-solve and it, it's kind of like evidence of the confidence that they're building in the class and with the mm-hmm. subject. And so when they can like discover something for the first time and they're like, oh, wow, even I have microscopes laying around my classroom right now, but even now today when kids are trying to use the microscope and get something in view mm-hmm. um, and they're struggling, just letting them struggle a little bit and then having them have that moment on their own, like, oh, I did it, I can do it, is like really fun for me. Um, yeah. I think like a lot of times um, people view like school as, oh, the teacher just tells me the answers and like tells mm-hmm. me what the information is and I just have to remember it. But I think in science, like throughout my time as a student in science, like I've been given tools that help me figure out things on my own. Like even though I might, I'm not sure if like an answer to a question right now, like mm-hmm. I'm confident that I can figure it out with what I know and so I think that's something that's special about science too because like um, the nature of science is like you're not going to know the answers right and so like it's important for you to have those like skills and the confidence to say like okay I might not know what's going on I might not know the answers I might not even be able to see what I'm studying in front of me but Mm -hmm. I know that I have the tools that I need to like Mm -hmm. figure it out yeah Especially with the microscopes. Mm-hmm. I remember one time I came in for office hours and I like I was struggling to swab my cheek and I was like, do I just do it like that? And then I put um, it under the microscope and I saw like all the cells and I was like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. Mm-hmm. I knew about yeah. That. yeah, it's really cool when you can see your own cells. You're like, yeah. <laughs> oh, and the hair too. Yeah. I remember we compared hairs yes. and saw the thickness. And, yeah, that was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Um, What is environmental stewardship and how are you incorporating it into middle school classrooms? Um, So environmental stewardship to me is um, developing a responsibility to protect, advocate, and care for our environment. Um, And not just in a I'm going to learn about it way and I'm going to be aware of it way, but more of in an active way. How can you take an active role in your community? to sort of combat all of these things that are happening um, right now, climate change and 
environmental degradation. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, really just being active with the environment and working to sustain it and conserve it would be environmental stewardship. In middle school, um, that's actually what I'm in my master's program right now for, is to sort of develop more ways to get our students involved with our local community and with the conservation um, projects that are already happening in our community. Um, and so I'm still trying to kind of like learn a little bit about how to get students really directly and actively involved in stewardship. Um, but right now, middle schoolers, um, they are very much exposed to the threats happening to our environment right now. Mm -hmm. And yeah. they take sort of a, a different role where they're kind of using what they learn about the environment and sort of educating others, which is another form of environmental stewardship is spreading awareness um, to try to create behavior change. Because I think it's really important for like the younger generation to be a part of that because mm -hmm. after all, we're going to be the ones that are going to be living in this future world mm -hmm. that we need to protect and we that environment is going to be our life at some point. Mm -hmm. So like as the younger um, generation, it's really important for us to bring awareness and mm -hmm. like to mm -hmm. talk about it, I guess, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. talking about it and informing people is about is the first step to getting people to do something. For those who um, are trying to spread more awareness but are struggling to, you know, like find ways, what would you um, advise them? Um, I would say just like what Sophia was talking about, um, to just talk about it. Talk about it with your friends. Talk about it with your family. I think people get stuck of like, oh, I'm not doing enough or I'm not, I'm not, I don't know what to do because they think in their heads they have to do something really big. But it's really the small things. Um, and so just having conversations about the environment and what little changes you can make within your life and your family's life and your friend's life um, to just be more sustainable overall is I think, I think just the first step. Yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. So let's move on to the woman in STEM segment. Um, we'll be talking about Ms. Kleiner's experience of being a woman in the STEM field. So, first of all, do you have any stories or anecdotes or anything about being an, a woman in STEM? Um, so, I have had some people in my family and in my life kind of like question my interest in science and not really feel like it matched. <laughs> and I think that stems from like just who I am as a person and being a, a woman or, or a girl and being very feminine. Like, I'm, I'm a very feminine person. I, I like to wear dresses. I like flowers. <laughs> you know? I like pop culture. Um, and so that girly side in some people's minds, I don't think matched what they thought a science person or science, somebody who's interested in science should yeah. act and look and feel like, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so I think a lot of times people they view um, people in the science field or they have these preconceived notions of, of scientists or even teachers of science as being masculine. Mm. Um, and because I was feminine, it didn't really match that. And you know, they didn't, they weren't real outright with it, but maybe just some passive comments about it or not really understanding why or seeing mm. why I liked doing what I do. Um, Did yeah. that change as time passed? Um, I think that did change 
as time went on. And the more I sort of, sort of was able to show that side of me to them, I think the more they understood. They, I think a lot of times I would try to just not even talk about that side of me because I was afraid of the reaction. Um, and so I kind of hid that. Mm-hmm. But as I grew older, I realized that I can be like 100% myself and I can be feminine and girly and still like science. It was, <laughs> there's, it's not inhibiting my life, yeah. <laughs> my ability to do science. So um, yeah, I think it definitely changed as I grew and just had more experiences and had built more confidence. And I think at the root, like people should be able to invite, to see this like super girly, what would be stereotypically a girly girl mm-hmm. who, and be like, oh, she likes science. That's mm-hmm. completely fine. There's nothing con- contradictory about right. that. Like, yeah. um, it's important to like break the stereotype and show that even if you're someone who comes off as like super fe- feminine, like mm-hmm. science is feminine too. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah. Um, Angie, why do you think it's important that girls and um, women are involved in STEM? Oh, it's so important. Um, first of all, women and girls and just female identifying people, they make up half of, <laughs> yeah. half of the population. So by leaving all of those voices out, you're missing so much of the puzzle and you're missing so many ideas that bring so much value to the STEM field. Um, and so it's really important just to have a really diverse and inclusive workforce in STEM. It's important for females' economic security. Um, it's also just important to prevent biases in the field. A lot of STEM fields lead directly to start services and products. And so um, without female voices, you don't have that perspective. And I think that that can be really detrimental. Like an example would be like if you're creating this AI algorithm to figure something out and there's no female perspective, that algorithm can end up having an unintentional bias against mm-hmm. women, even mm-hmm. if like the creators aren't thinking like, oh, we want to attack women yeah. with, our, with our project or with our model. But yeah. at the mm-hmm. end of the day, like if you leave out that entire perspective and all of those people, you end up um, like subconsciously creating mm-hmm. this bias which yeah in fact there was a virginia study um that used um ai to see who was in the photo so there was like they showed a bunch of photos in the data of women that were cooking and then eventually the ai thought that even if a man was cooking that the man was still a woman oh wow yeah oh my wow. gosh <laughs> <laughs> okay um did you have a special woman in STEM role model and how did they influence your life or change your perspective? Okay, um, I didn't have a, a special role model until I got to seventh grade and my seventh grade, I'm not just saying this, <laughs> my seventh grade science teacher was the first time I was like, oh, science is really fun and relatable and it's not scary. And so she was the first person that I was kind of like, okay, I, I think I, I actually like this, right? I like learning about um, how to solve problems and taking risks and not knowing the answer and I'm okay with not being right. And she just created this environment where she made me feel very comfortable um, in, in science class to like share an answer even though 
I could it could have been wrong or to admit that I didn't know something. Um, she just created a really like inclusive, comfortable environment for me. And so I think her name is Miss Antia. She was the best oh, teacher. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, Oh, I was gonna say, and then as I got older, and it's just it's kind of a shame because I didn't have many, um, I didn't have many examples of women in science that I was given in mm-hmm. in throughout my like educational career. It was always um, the credit that white men took. That was yeah. what was taught at that time, yeah. and so those voices and those stories weren't told. So I didn't really have very many role models. Um, I would say like the person that's my role model now would be Jennifer Doudna, who received the Nobel Prize in 2020 oh my for goodness. CRISPR-Cas9. She thinks she's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that would be my role model now. So definitely now I'm, I'm hearing these stories of mm-hmm. these amazing women and, and sad that I didn't hear them as a kid because I think it would have um, given me more confidence and mm-hmm. um, maybe I would have even taken a different path. Who knows? Do you think um, as um, the years have passed, the more news and media, especially about um, women in STEM, have become more accessible for younger children? I hope so. I would like to hear a child's <laughs> perspective on that. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I hope so. And um, I mean, I know Jennifer Downo is in the news, mm-hmm. um, and I hope that as as like this generation grows up, they keep seeing these stories. And I know that there's movies out about, you know, like Hidden Catherine figures. Johnson. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Movie recommendation? Yes. You should watch Hidden Figures. <laughs> yeah. It's yes. really good. So I think it's getting better, and I just think even more of that is, is going to be great. Because mm-hmm. kids can see themselves in, in those people. And to your point earlier about, like, science being scary before Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times like especially among girls there's this idea that like science and math and like engineering is very so difficult Mm -hmm. and and I'll never be able to get it because Mm -hmm. it's it's too hard for me Mm -hmm. but it's really important to show girls and to show yourself that you have the capabilities to do every single thing in that Mm -hmm. class to solve that every problem Mm -hmm. and like as long as you, I mean, this is going to sound cheesy, but as long as you persevere, as long as you keep trying, um, it, you can, like, prove to yourself that yeah. you have a lot of potential, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And especially with the supportive community, too, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, if um, the, there was people around me in my life that encouraged me to go towards, like, a STEM path because I, like, showed interest in it, mm-hmm. and now I can tell you that I 100% do not regret it. I'm so glad to hear that. Okay, so let's go on to some advice. Mm -hmm. If you were to tell your younger self or a younger girl out there who is interested in STEM um, a piece of advice, what would you tell her? I would tell her that you can be 100% yourself and still be a rock star in STEM. That you don't have to hide any part of yourself or tone down any girliness <laughs> that you have in your body to fit into a STEM field. Um, to just keep um, challenging that stereotype and keep challenging that barrier. Um, and don't compromise who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, you can have it all and you can be exactly who you are and, and in doing so bring so much value and perspective 
to the STEM field. Yeah, I definitely mm-hmm. agree. Like, it's important to, like, your voice and your unique perspective is so important. Like, if you if you think like, oh, I need to be fit a certain mold or I need to be a certain person in order to pursue STEM, then like, mm-hmm. you're contributing to like this idea that everyone has to be like one-minded, one-track mind, like mm-hmm. everyone has to be the same, but it's really important for there to be all these different perspectives in science. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Um, on the topic of many different subjects and perspectives, <laughs> what would you tell those who feel a little bit lost in what they want to pursue? Um, that it's okay to feel lost. You don't have to know what single path you need to be on anytime soon. Um, I remember when I was feeling really lost in college, I had a great conversation with my dad and he said, I was like, dad, I just don't know what I want to do. I'm freaking out. I don't know what my major is going to be. And he was like, Kelly, I'm 60 years old. And some of the most interesting people I know still don't know what they want to do with their lives. (laughs) (laughs) And I just was like, oh, okay. (laughs) I guess I don't have to have this all figured out right now. Um, You're going to shape who you are based on your experiences and so I would just say try try a bunch of things like try as many things as you have access to and take risks and be vulnerable in those things and you will find your way and you will find something that you love and then when you do run with it and um, don't don't get caught up on I need to know exactly what I'm doing right now because so many people change career paths and it's the best thing that ever happened to them and it's you know it's it's not always a single path that you're on i think as a junior in high school like i'm kind of starting to think about like oh what do i want to do in college and like i feel pressured to like know like have an answer and to like pick my path but i think it's really important to remember that even if i do pick a path right now if i do or i don't it doesn't dictate what the rest of my life is going to look like because I've heard so many stories of people who might study something in college or major in a certain area and they completely like change their entire path up even during college after Mm -hmm. college so like just like picking it there's no pressure to Mm -hmm. pick now I guess Mm -hmm. and I think it's important to remember because it can feel like oh my gosh I need to know but I'm only 16 and there's still a lot of time for me, the rest of my life for me to choose. (laughs) And even if you do pick a path and you don't feel like it's the path you want to go on, it's totally okay to change. Like I remember when I was little, I used to want to become a doctor or and a librarian at one point and then I was like, because I really love reading and then also like doctor, being a doctor is super cool and I was like, wait a second, I'm not actually like maybe I'm more interested in like robotics or technology and yeah. Yeah. And also one more thing, I think it's like, it's cool to have a lot of interests because like a lot of times people think like, oh, you have to have this one passion that Mm -hmm. you follow for your whole life and your career. But like there's, there's like a beauty in the cross section between like, I can love poetry and Mm -hmm. I can love coding and there's like there's going there's AI that makes poetry yeah (laughs) it's so cool like anything that you might be interested can interested in can always like it like builds who you are like it's Mm -hmm. part all part of your identity so I don't think there's anything wrong with feeling like you have a lot of interests or 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 like thinking about how you could combine your interests Yeah. yeah totally agree 
Okay, let's move on to our extra questions. So Ms. Kleinerts, have you noticed any changes with gender underrepresentation throughout your teaching career? Like, do you see progress? So in middle school, overall, I feel that when girls enter my class, they're overall more likely to be more quiet in whole group discussions. So I've noticed that throughout my teaching career. Um, and however, that the work that they produce is very insightful and it's awesome work. It's really great ideas. And so there's something, there's a missing piece there where girls aren't feeling like their voice um, is validated or that their voice needs to be heard. Um, and so it's, it's disappointing and it's unfortunate. Um, but I think that we sort of all benefit when we hear everyone's voice. Um, and we can learn so much from each other when we hear everyone's perspective. And so, yes, I've seen, um, I've definitely seen more girls participating in science throughout my 13 years of teaching, but um, it's still pretty prevalent that sometimes the girls are just a little more quiet when sharing their ideas. I think a lot of times, like, it comes from this place of feeling like you're gonna get overpowered by someone else, mm -hmm. or like the fear that, oh, if I say this, someone might come in and say, and disagree with me, or, mm -hmm. or say that I was wrong. And like, I feel like a lot of times it's important to remember that, oh, it's okay if I'm wrong, like, I can still say this. Mm -hmm. And I think even in our math classes, like we're encouraged to share our ideas, even if we haven't solved the problem completely, or even yeah. if we got it wrong in our yeah. homework, like, it's okay to be wrong, but, mm -hmm adding that perspective and showing people like, okay, I tried it this way and it didn't work. That's valuable too, mm -hmm. because like, I think a lot of times in the scientific community, we like value this idea of like, we discovered something and, and this worked or we got mm -hmm. these results and they were so insightful, but mm -hmm. doing something or, or writing research about what d didn't work mm -hmm. is also super important because um, it tells us another way that didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> When you think about it, all learning comes from those mistakes. Mm -hmm. And not much is learned when people don't make mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. How can teachers and educators around the world do their best to support girls in STEM? Um, I would say, um, first of all, like just creating an environment where everyone's ideas are encouraged and respected and valued. And that it's not just my job to have that sort of like um, have those norms but it's also everyone's job to invite people to contribute and to want to hear the perspective of everyone else mm -hmm. um, so creating that sort of culture within a classroom is hugely important and then also just creating a culture of risk-taking and being vulnerable with your ideas and being vulnerable sharing your opinion um, is really important to get girls to not focus on trying to be um, or being afraid of being wrong or being afraid of being overpowered. Um, if we can just like normalize taking risks and being wrong and that that is part of the scientific process, um, then maybe more girls would just feel more comfortable uh, in science classes. And I think just elevating their voice by giving them opportunities to take on leadership roles is really mm -hmm. important. Um, and also just showing them 
role models in STEM um, in different fields and different units that we teach and making sure that those stories are being taught um, is really important so for you know female identifying students to to feel like it could definitely be a path for them as well Mm -hmm. and also I think for like working females in general like there's this idea that like I have to balance like family and my career and so they they might think like oh if I want to have a family at one point I want to have like a career that's not so like rigorous Mm -hmm. per se and STEM can come off as like a really difficult career Mm -hmm. and so they would shy away from that but I think it's important to say like like you can have both like (laughs) that's kind of a theme like you can you can be both a scientist both a a mathematician Mm -hmm. and also be someone who has like a family like you Um, so as a teacher you kind of you teach one grade but Mm -hmm. you get to see like people grow up in a way like all your students grow up including us (laughs) oh yeah so um, at what age do you think that the gender gap in STEM becomes discernible like is there a certain age where you see like a really big drop-off or Mm -hmm. and, and do you see it among your students today like is it very obvious it is very obvious in certain um, in certain classes, oh. especially as you go from middle school to upper school or middle school to high school, yeah. that it becomes a lot more prevalent. Um, the gender gap gets wider. Yeah. And yeah. Um, especially in classes that are very math heavy, like physics. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and at, here at our school, we're very aware of that. And we had an awesome department chair last year and we have awesome dedicated teachers that are um, trying to work through that, those problems and trying to get collect student voices on their experiences here um, and surveying students about their experiences and how they feel in science classes and where they feel they belong so that we can sort of get to the bottom of why that is happening and attempt to tr- sort of close that gender gap. But it's definitely, as you go up in grade levels, I think it gets worse and worse for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. And especially in those math-heavy like, mm-hmm. physics classes, it's mm-hmm. even worse. It's even a wider gender gap. Um, yeah. I definitely agree, especially as you go on to upper school. And I guess there's like more talk about college, we want to do in life. And the courses definitely become more rigorous. Yeah. Um, I think I've also seen some patterns of where like, um, girls who are female identifying students who are previously interested in STEM start to feel a bit more intimidated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm actually taking physics at Bishops right now. Yay! Um, I'd say like that's definitely true. Like the gender gap is definitely there. Mm-hmm. Um, but my grade is kind of an outlier in that sense. Mm-hmm. Like all three juniors in advanced honor physics are girls, which oh. is amazing. <laughs> yeah, and so, and like, um, I think there's more girls in like um, advanced math classes in our grade than mm-hmm. there are boys, mm-hmm. which I think is, it's great to see because then I feel like I have a community. Like we, I sit yes. with the other two girls all the mm-hmm. time and we talk about problems, how to figure things out. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like what you said about math heavy especially, mm-hmm. I think that's definitely true. Like I participated, I participate in math competitions a lot and mm-hmm. um, I did this one with San Diego Math Circle where they um, 
they basically invited like 60 people to participate on their teams. It was for ARML or American Regional Mathematics League, I think. Oh, wow. And there were 60 people and there was four girls out of oh, the 60. That's so sad. Which, is, which is honestly like, that's one of the most prominent examples of when I felt like I was a very small minority. Yeah. And, and it's beyond just being a minority. It's like you feel like... I felt like I couldn't talk to a lot of people because mm-hmm. I felt intimidated by them yeah. because there would be these boys, like the, they split us into four teams and there would be, the first team was 15 people and okay. they were all boys oh, wow. and I was like, oh my god, they're so good at math, <laughs> they're so smart, yeah. there's no way I can talk yeah. to them. Yeah. And so like, it's important to, to include more girls mm-hmm. because by doing that, you encourage more girls. Yes, yes. 100% agree. Okay, I think it's about time to wrap up this episode. Thank you so much, Mrs. Kleinertz, for giving your powerful insight and being such an inspiration to all of us. Oh, thank you so much, both of you. It's been such a joy to watch you both grow and just pursue your interests here and be such amazing leaders for our school and such a valued part of our school community. So thank you so much for having me today. Oh, of course. Thank you for coming. And if you guys have any questions about being a woman in STEM or anything at all, please email allgirlsstemsociety at gmail.com. That is A-L-L-G-I-R-L-S-S-T-E-M-S-O-C-I-E-T-Y at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow All Girls STEM Society on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you so much for listening to Redefining Pink, everyone, and see you on our next episode. Bye! Bye.